0: Hello?
1: What Hello? Do
0: we say? Hello? 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 Hi. Rethink. Rethink. Reimagine. Reimagine. Okay.
2: Okay. Okay, okay. okay America.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to OK America, where we are rethinking and reimagining our world today. I'm your host, Juliette Lamar, the one and only person on this show who is not a doctor. And folks, they're still letting me host again and again. What are they thinking Well, it's too late, it's happening once more. My co-hosts today are the infamous Dr. Phil Dumbo. He's the founder of Life Strategies, LLC. This man is amazing in so many ways, and he has dedicated himself to helping highly motivated individuals and performers achieve their peak potentials and live their truth. And he always is asking those really deep questions, Dr. Phil Dumbo. And again, coming in from our wonderful other lady counterpart side is Dr. B. Thomas. She is an Air Force vet, former federal police officer, College professor and CEO of the cannabis company Sage Logica. Now that I feel completely underqualified to be on this podcast, how are you guys doing?
2: <laughs> hi, hi Juliet. How how are you?
1: I'm doing great, guys. This week was awesome. How was, how was your weeks?
2: It was a huge week. It was okay. a huge week in so many ways. You know, it was just there's something going on in the world. As scary as it is, it just feels really large, and I'm really glad to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, good point. I yeah, agree. How your week? I can't complain. You see, I'm ready to talk to you about it. I had a beautiful week. It's been a busy week. Every day, like Dr. Phil, there's something going on. The way that I look at it, it's like life continues. It's been a busy week.
1: What about you? You know, what a great time to be alive. I think this is a time of opportunity. It's a time of a lot of struggle. But you know what happens with a lot of struggle? A lot of really fantastic things can come of it if we are creative enough and we put our minds to it. And speaking of being creative, putting your mind to it, and really busting those barriers, our guest today, let me tell you guys all about our guest. So we're talking today to TV personality, female illusionist, choreographer, you have seen him on So You Think You Can Dance, Prawls, Drag Race, and many, many more things on TV. He's also a U.S. presidential scholar in the arts with a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in dance and choreography from the California Institute of Arts. And you can catch him performing regularly at festivals and events across the world, like to date, to date. He's performed in 14 countries spanning 5 continents. Jay Jackson aka the beautiful luxurious amazing Laganja Stranja. Welcome to the podcast Jay.
3: Woohoo. Wow, thank you so much with that intro. I almost sounded, well not almost. I sort of sounded qualified to be here, right?
1: <laughs> More so than me. I mean, I <laughs> I've, I should just go. I'm just going to
3: go. <laughs> hey, I'm a, I'm a doctor of dance, okay? Hey. Oh. Not official, not official, officially, but...
2: <laughs> no, that's awesome. So, you know, what's so wonderful is just seeing you live and in person. I've seen so many videos of you and on TV, yeah. and we're just really glad you're here. So I appreciate it.
3: Well, absolutely. I'm so excited. I feel like our conversation today is going to be super interesting, which I love. I love getting down to the nitty-gritty and talking about the uncomfortable. I think especially during this time, that's what we need to be doing. So I'm happy to, to be joining you, and thank you for amplifying my voice. Great.
1: You are welcome. So our episode today is titled Life's a Drag, because one of the ways that you perform is in drag, which is, it's such an amazing art, and I think it's a very misunderstood form of choreography dance, artistic expression. So really, what drew you to drag originally Uh, as a trained choreographer?
3: Well, I want to say this. I think, yes, drag is misunderstood, maybe at large. But I think as of recent, especially within the last 10 years with RuPaul's Drag Race, there really has become a lot more drag queen art seen in mainstream. And I do think there is a lot of people who are really coming around to the idea of it as an art form. So for those of you who still don't know what drag is, at its core, it is female impersonation. So predominantly, it it has always been gay men who dress up as women, a la Shakespeare days when women were not allowed to dress. And thus we got the term drag, dressing as a girl. So as time has changed, of course, the art form has changed. And thus, it is now truly something that I feel in my heart of hearts, anyone, no matter their gender, sexual orientation, color, religion can participate in. And that is the art form of self-expression using your creativity. So whether that's with your look, with your talent or combining all of the above. So for me, I think that drag is really an all encompassing art form because it does have the visual element. It does have the performance element. And now, especially since I'm you know, doing meet and greets across the world, well, not now with the pandemic, but before doing meet and greets across the world, it's also required me to be like a public figure and someone who people can really, well, they don't have to, but I hope so, can relate to and can look up to and and look for, you know, in my case, specifically with my advocacy in cannabis, education.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that really, as I was thinking about today's interview and looking at the uh, the script and the notes that, that Juliet put together, when you look at what's going on in the world and people looking for a voice... What drove you from, it doesn't matter what the expression was, but that there is a drive to have a voice. Like, what is the intention behind Jay Jackson that makes him, you know, Laganja Estranja? What, what, how did you find that as the vehicle for all of this, if that makes any sense to you?
3: It does. Yeah. I feel like for me, I always say this in every interview, I feel like drag chose me. I did not really choose this as my art form to be launched into the world at large. I have always come from this at a musical theater background. That's how I was raised. So I was already encompassing acting, singing, and dancing. But the element of drag took me to the next level. And so as an artist, that challenge excited me. And that's why ultimately I believe this is the art form that popped me on the scene because it really required the most of me as an artist. Now, what motivates me to have a voice? Well, I think a little bit of that is human nature. I think we all want to feel like what we have to say matters. We all want to matter to someone. Now, the need to matter to for my instance, 600K on Instagram, how does that happen? I'm not quite for sure. I think, you know, growing up in musical theater, I always had this goal of being on Broadway, but with social media and how it's, you know, really become such an integral part of my life, especially during quarantine, as that is how I am supporting myself financially, it does play a big part on the mind. And I think for me, I just always have to remind myself, I didn't get in this for the game. I got in this for the give because I think as an artist, that's what you, that's what you do. You want to give, you want to give a part of your expression, your creativity, your mind to an audience. And I think, um, the natural want to have that audience grow is just that. I think that is a natural want. And I think for some it's scary and they don't want that. And so they block it, whether they realize it or not. Whereas with me, I'm the complete opposite. I fully welcoming. I fully welcome it, knowing that it comes with a lot. It comes with a lot of accountability. It comes with a lot of, you know, potential for hurting others. I think that's what a lot of people don't realize when they get in the position of having a platform. You know, you have to be. You don't have to be, but for me, I want to be um, helping people, and so. I've learned, especially like right now with the BLM movement about how I can better help. And I think that always stems from educating yourself, which kind of brings me back to why education has always been a crucial part of my platform, whether it be in cannabis, whether it be as a dance teacher, or whether it's literally teaching how to be a better person. Because in my mind, a drag queen's ultimate goal is to be the pillar of the LGBTQ AI plus community. That's what we've always been. We've always fought for what is right in our community. And so I have a real big duty as a drag queen, you know, in America right now, to be having these conversations and to really be diving deep because I want to. Good
0: for you. Where do you get your inspiration for the various personalities and routines? And, you know, um, I know everyone knows um, Madeer, the character Madeer that uh, is played by Tyler, Perry. And I don't think think he plays that character anymore. I think he actually retired her, dear. So and he talked about how his inspiration for that character came from his aunts and his mothers and all of this. So he developed this beautiful character from that. So where do you get your inspiration from? Like, where does it come from?
3: Well, I definitely don't think my mother wants the uh, pot smoking (laughs) drag queen who looks like a slut and dances on the pole to say she was my inspiration. (laughs) I will say, I will save her that trouble, but I can say that, you know, my mother and father have inspired my kindness and my, my genuine care for others, which I do think you see both in and out of drag with me. Um, But what really inspires my character um, is Missy Elliott. That's my biggest (laughs) icon in life. I, have loved her since day one. I am inspired by her for many reasons, but most importantly, because she was able to really create art that reached the masses, that was pop culture, Mm -hmm. but she also was really able to make a social commentary on many different things. But my specific point that I wrote my thesis on in college was Super Duper Fly, and how she was talking about the hypersexualization of the black female body. And thus she wore this oversized jumpsuit to take away the the look that, you know, was created with someone like Sarah Bartman, which was the first, you know, African American woman, or not African American, the first black woman, excuse me, to be put on display. And so to me, the fact that she was able to really create art that spoke to masses, that they were able to drop down and get their eagle on and, and love it. But also subconsciously, and for those of us who wanted to see and were awake to see the message, it really had meat to it. And so that's what inspires me. You know, I love pop culture. Are you kidding? I'm a drag queen. That's what really inspires us is is what's going on, the latest trends. I mean, that's very, you know, common. You see that in this art form. But I think it's important, like I said, that if there's not something underneath that, that really is moving you know, people forward and changing the way in which we look at one another, then you're kind of missing the point of pop culture. So I, I, my inspirations, I could go on forever. You know, I grew up in musical theater, so I love Bob Fosse. I love, you know, I grew up with a lot of like Bette Midler. So I love that whole vibe. I mean, I really do draw inspirations from so many different places in my life. I think that as an artist, if you limit yourself to one thing, like, oh, well, I listen to music for inspiration. It's like, well, then you're not really uh, an inspired person. I mean, I can get inspired by something we say in this conversation and that can truly spark a piece for me. I think if you're open and you're allowing that kind of energy in, it's amazing what can inspire you.
0: You know, what's interesting about Sarah Bartman, because you brought her up and, you know, um, and I love history, it, you know, about this whole thing about being put on display and all of that. And because of the massive sides of her, you know her body and the way her body was proportioned and it's interesting now that that's actually looked at as a sex symbol so we put a lot of attention now on our um we we're talking about our butts earlier before we right. were recording we put a lot of attention there now now it's something that we own you know it's, it's something that we've we've reclaimed our power i feel in so many ways and that goes back to missy Elliott. in a lot of ways she reclaimed her power i did some research on her like i remember how she had issues in the industry, and because of her size, and this, that, and the other thing—it's very interesting. So, good point. Good for bringing that up. Thank you. Yeah.
3: Well, I'm—I'm I'm really lucky that I got an education at the California Institute of the Arts, and as a part of the art conservatory, we were, you know, mandated to take classes in other areas. Now, it's not like a college where it was math and science per se, but it was very <laughs> integral to the artist that I've become, and I think that I was able to. You know the course I, I I studied was Sarah Bartman, the Hot and top Venus, and so it was all about you know the, the the lineage of the black body and and how it has become this idealized image in our culture with Kim Kardashian and people who are literally pumping silicone into their bodies to, you know, receive this look and this shape that now you know we we love so. I just think that I'm very lucky that I was exposed to an education like that and really forced to think outside the box Yeah. because so many of my friends who are very well educated, you know, they they didn't get to really talk about, in my mind, real life. And that course really forced me to confront a lot of issues that we're dealing with now. And I feel lucky that, um, you know, I got that experience. I also wrote another thesis on the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It was a whole course about <laughs> rituals and that was the ritual that I chose to talk about. So I think my education really informed the artist that I am today. And especially during quarantine, now that I'm getting to go back to my roots and have these conversations and mention things like this, I, I feel it, you know, I feel like there is a shift in my artistry happening right now. And it's, it's very powerful.
2: So I've, I've written for a long time and have spoken on the issue or the concept that rituals create identity and identity require rituals, right? If we walk outside right now and we walk into the street and ask people if anybody's out there, um, what day do most Christians go to church? Most people would say, Sunday, right? And what is when is Thanksgiving? And we all know it to be the third Thursday in November in the United States, right? I was
3: gonna say November twenty fifth, but sure, sounds good.
2: Yeah, right, right. And and so Jay, so when you say rituals with regard to, are you talking about that at midnight on Saturday, Friday and Saturday nights, um, people would go dress up and go to see Rocky Horror Picture Show? Is it the ritual of? of the dressing up and attending and becoming a part of the show itself. Tell me about where rituals fit in your life now.
3: Sure. Well, so for my thesis for that particular class, yes, that is exactly what I was talking about. I talked about how belonging to the Rocky Horror Picture Show and that group of quote, quote, freaks is a ritual in its in its own, not just the ritual of going to the movie and performing in front of it, but also the ritual of belonging to this community, having a similar Uh, language and how that really developed into what it is now, which, you know, obviously is a huge phenomenon. For me, you know, ritual plays a huge part in my life. I'm very OCD. So I do have a set way of doing a lot of things. Um, You know, cannabis is a huge part of my ritual. It really does help me become the artist that I want to be. It it helps me in, in so many ways besides you know, the medicinal properties, which is sleeping regulation, eating regulation, um, mood suppressant or encourage, or I don't know, mood, what's it when it makes your mood happier?
2: Elevator. Mm-hmm. Mood
3: elevator. Yeah. Um, you know, so so for me, it does all of that, but it is also a part of my art making. You know, before I, I do my makeup as a drag queen, I always smoke to, you know, allow myself to be creative and also because I don't really like makeup. And so when I smoke, I'm able to then do something that is not my favorite, In the art form that I do, but it allows me that extra little push to to not not be so scared of it, and not allow my fear of not being a makeup artist to take over, and really allow myself, the creator, the artist, to do my job. So I think uh, you know, other parts of my rituals would would include you know stretching a lot of my you know conditioning for dancing. Um, I've been doing a lot of pole classes and aerial classes during quarantine to keep my body lubricated since I'm not performing on stages. So I think movement is a, is a huge part of who I am, but also the ritual that I perform every day to really be able to be myself.
0: I love that you have a routine. You have a routine and it brings you closer to freedom because it helps you to get more into yourself. And I think this is also what right, the reason why you're so successful. Successful people actually have a routine. And you <laughs> know, I would,
3: I was always told, um, as a young child by my parents that, you know, when I would say like, well, why do I make up my bed every day? I'm just going to get back into it. They would say, you know, there's a statistic that says successful people make their bed every day. So you need to do it. And for some reason at a young age, that literally was enough to start this huge OCD, you know, thing that I, have. I mean, you know, I don't go to bed until the pillows on the couch have literally like been left and, you know, chopped in the middle. So, I mean, you know, they it's had the no... It's parents' fault. It's
2: always the parents' fault, Jay. Come on. No, no, Stop blaming the- your parents for your OCD, goddammit. It's Jesus. not. They just, they just opened the
3: floodgates.
2: It, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay.
1: Well, I think that it, rituals are so important, and it's wonderful you brought that up on your own, Jay, because Dr. Phil talks about rituals all the time, and you did not know that, but it's it was such a beautiful connection to see that great minds think alike. But when you have this ritual and you have these things that you know are just going to happen, it allows you to be in a more creative space because you're not worried about these little things. Your foundation is built, it's there, and you're not worried about all the little stuff. And I think that's why people are more successful. They just have more brain space for all that creative energy. Um, you mentioned your practice schedule. So what kind of, because um, you're like a full-time artist, choreographer, dancer, drag queen, what is your um, you know practice schedule like? And then also, how long did it take you to learn the death drop
0: um,
3: okay well let's do the first question because yes. the second one is a whole thing we're gonna i'm gonna talk about <laughs> okay. so let's do the first question first what was it your practice schedule <laughs> your practice schedule like
1: i mean people maybe think of drag as like oh great they you know you get dressed up and you perform on stage but there's like a lot that goes into it as far as practicing your makeup maybe coming up with the costumes and then the actual choreography and dancing
3: so I will be honest. I'm probably one of the the most highly active drag queens you will ever talk to mm-hmm. because I have so much energy and I feel so many gifts that the the universe, or as I say, God, G A W D, has given <laughs> me. Um, I I feel like that it's very hard to define what my normal practice looks like, especially right now in quarantine. You know, my life was. Turned on its head when everything hit as someone who was making, you know, predominantly a living performing traveling the world for audiences at 300 minimum. So when I shifted into coming home, um, I realized for myself that I did need to be extremely active that sitting at home wasn't going to work for me. I could only Netflix and chill for so long. And um, there was only so many times that I could masturbate. Like that's really, I I finally got to that point where I was like, okay, so you're an artist, you're stuck in your home. We got to figure this out. And so wait till
2: you're my age. (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, my dad who's in his seventies; is still a, a, a elementary counselor. So I have a feeling I will be like this for the rest of my life. So, <laughs> embracing that, I decided that I needed to be you know as busy as possible, just like my normal life. So right now, I get up every day at nine a.m. so that I can prepare my Instagram post at ten a.m. I post every day on Instagram at ten a.m. minimum, um, and so that usually takes me an hour to get up, to get going, to get posted. Um, and then at that point I'm awake, I'm going to, uh, medicate, make a cup of coffee, have a cigarette, enjoy my patio, usually water my plants, take my dog out. And then I'm going to do whatever's on my schedule. And my schedule truly, you know, during this time has been so up and down. It could be that I am going to, one of the lessons that I mentioned earlier with someone, you know, in pole or aerial, it could be that I'm doing podcasts. It could be that I'm filming videos. It could be that I have a bunch of cameos, which is this incredible thing online where people basically pay me to make them a video, Mm -hmm. wishing them happy birthday, telling their ex to fuck off, whatever. Um, And, you know, it's things like that, just just so you know that that's how I've been able to make a living during this time. So I'm solely relying on the support of my community, which Mm -hmm. has really enforced that I'm so lucky to be gay and to be a drag queen because the community that I am really does see me as as someone that's worth it. And you know, they've been tipping and, and helping support my online shows. And and so yeah, I would just say that my typical practice is to be busy, to be moving, to be grooving, to be talking, to be learning, to be reading, to be watching, to be inspired. There's not a lot of chilling. I think a lot of people think as cannabis smokers, as one who, you know, don't do a lot, eat chips on the couch. And that does happen, of course, but for the most part, Um, I'm just very active. I feel like I said, I've been given this gift. And so I have to use it to my advantage and to help others.
1: Do you feel like the LGBTQAI plus community and the drag queen community is more supportive than other communities that maybe you've been involved in or that you see from an outside?
3: Right. Well, I was going to say, I can't really speak, right? Because I'm not in other communities. So it's not fair of me to uh, say who or who isn't more supportive. But what I can say is that being in both the cannabis landscape and the LGBTQAI plus landscape, I have received more support overall from the, the, the gay community as opposed to the cannabis community. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's so funny that this is getting brought up because this is something that always gets brought up with me and I always feel like the need to talk about it. But specifically right now, I just feel like the inequalities that I have felt in the cannabis community will never amount to the inequalities that exist in the world at large for people of color and so that's why when these questions are brought up i do acknowledge it but i just try to like redirect the conversation because i think that's such a much more important conversation to be having than you know my struggle as a gay person in the cannabis community and i think uh you know during this time it's just really opened my eyes to that and uh not to say like well just be grateful because that's not true. You should still fight for inequalities. We need to change on all levels. But I have had a, a very humbling moment during this time and realized how lucky I am. I mean, here I am sitting talking to two doctors and um, you know you. And this is incredible. <laughs> that thirty one. I know. And you. It's so. And sad. me.
0: And your fabulous ass. <laughs> but wow. you know what I'm saying. And,
3: and just lucky that at 30, 31 years old in my career, you know, I'm getting to, to do this. I just, I I know I've worked for it and I, and I deserve it, but there has also been a huge humbling in this quarantine and with the BLM movement to realize how much I've been benefiting, you know, because I'm white and because I do moves that Missy Elliott did, but because the culture has said, oh, it's cute when the white boy does it, you know, it's, Mm. it's really taking that, that into consideration which brings me to your second question the death drop so
1: well wait let's go before you tell us about the death drop we're gonna take a commercial break all right cool. everyone we're gonna take a commercial break quickly tune in and once we get back to hear all about the death drop and also we're gonna dive way deeper into this conversation so stay tuned if you're liking what you're hearing hit that like button leave us a comment we'd love to hear from you
4: In a world that's ever-changing and a future ever-uncertain, more than ever, we're looking for ways to better our life, better our day, and redefine what it means to feel well. We at Kavanaugh Health, an Oklahoma-based, GMP and Kosher-certified manufacturer of hemp-derived ingredients and finished products, have had a core mission. All of us and each of us must redefine what it means to live well. Whether it's our tinctures, topical, or pet products, Kavana Health remains committed to the highest standards of production and packaging with the highest quality industrial hemp and a state of the art extraction lab. Come shop with us at www.kavanahealth.com or say hello on Facebook and Instagram at kavana.health. We are Kavana Health, redefining wellness. Welcome back to OK America Podcast. We are talking
1: with the usual suspects, Dr. Phil Dumbo, Dr. B. Thomas, Just Juliet, and our guest today, which is Jay Jackson. OK, Jay, we got cut off, but let's dive right back into where we picked up with the death drop.
0: So it
3: brings me to the death drop because this is something that I did not know. Tell me, This is one of the the many ways that my uh, benefiting off a system that I did not recognize happened. And that is, I was taught this move. I was not taught it in the actual ballroom culture or in the actual ballroom scene where this move was developed. I was taught this at a studio and by fellow friends who also did drag. And they told me that this was called the death drop. And thus, I took it at face value. I continued to take it on to America and make it famous. And thus, to this day, everyone always asks me, the death drop, the death drop. And this is gonna happen. And it is my duty as someone who has now received the education Mm -hmm. to then pass this on. We can no longer call this move the death drop. That is not its proper name. Its proper name is The Dip. It was created Mm in the 1970s and the 1980s in the vogue and ballroom culture by people of color, specifically trans women. And the reason it is important to reclaim this history and to educate others is because if it wasn't for my trans brothers and sisters of color, oh, it makes me so emotional. I would have no rights as a gay person. Stonewall was a beautiful protest and a riot that was led by black and brown trans brothers and sisters of the LGBTQ community. And they fought. For our community, even though gay men at the time were not accepting those trans people. Mm -hmm. But at the time, those people saw the bigger picture, and thus they fought for us all. Mm -hmm. And so when I was, quite honestly, attacked by the Vogue community for spreading misinformation, it took a lot for me to swallow my pride, A, and admit that I was wrong, but B, to not only understand the anger that they had with me, but to ultimately forgive that and move forward because they had every right to be angry. They had every right to be upset that here I was representing a community with or without knowledge and spreading misinformation. And that's why I take it very seriously. And that's why it's near and dear to my heart because not only do I respect the fight that they did so that I could be here, but I respect the ballroom community. If you've not seen the show Legendary on HBO Max, You absolutely must. Please pay the $7 to get the subscription for one month and you can cancel after, but they need your support. This this show is incredible and it shows truly as much as any pop culture show has shown what it is like to be in the ballroom community and the power of family and the power of choosing one another regardless of your race, background, sexuality. And that's truly, I think, the message of ballroom, which is why when I received the information with such ferocity, I was so confused because that's not what you should think of the ballroom community. They're very loving, but they're very vocal and they're Mm going to let you know when you fuck up. And I think it's our duty as humans, regardless of your race, white, black, it's our duty as humans to listen first and foremost. And when you're wrong, you have to admit it. You have to be okay with it. And you have to, most importantly, then learn from it and move forward because that's, To me, all we can expect of humans, we're all going to mess up. We're all going to, you know, make mistakes. And I already know I will continue as someone who is appreciative of black culture to probably cross the line when I don't mean to, and to say things that maybe are not appropriate or not said in the best way. But it's my duty to hear that and then to learn from that and fix that and then spread that knowledge, which is why every time I hear the word death drop, I cringe because I'm just like... I've tried so hard to continue to spread this message, but it just shows me that the the, the fight is, is is still in its way and that I have to continue to do this and, and that I want to because it's the correct thing to do and because I want us to be in a place where we all can truly see each other for our differences. I think, you know, as someone who grew up in the South, I heard quite often, well, I don't see color. My mom and dad raised me to love everybody. And that's great but it's not really because we need to see color. We need Mm -hmm. to see differences. We need to be able to acknowledge when we are appropriating and when we are appreciating. And Mm -hmm. as I said, as someone like Missy Elliott, who's my biggest inspiration in life, yes, this is going to be something that as an artist, I'm going to have to confront and continue to learn and, and be a better person. You know, I used to wear braids all the time and people would also get upset with me over that. And so I learned all about black hairstyles and I did my research to understand why it was that for me to wear those braids and for people to be praising me, how that was unfair and how that was ultimately not being a good drag queen. That's not that's not how I want to represent. That's not what I want people to follow me. I don't want other other people thinking that, you know, this kind of behavior is cute or acceptable because it's not. And, you know, I had to learn that publicly, which was difficult, but it made me so much stronger and it, it makes me able to really have this conversation.
0: Just saying cultural appropriation, I think is a deep topic, you know, because I feel like in America, it's a melting pot. And I feel like we're all, we, we are all probably a culturally appropriating something. Like the beads that I have on, they're from Tibet. They're Tibetan mala beads. Now, the difference is I know a bit of the history and the difference is someone taught me about them. And so what you're saying is very important, education and appreciation. And I think when you do that, then you have a completely different vibration to what you do. You mentioned, you're talking about gay black men, and that's something that we don't talk about, gay black men, gay black women, trans. Also, I mean, in communities where this is maybe not something that's favorable, I'm talking like gay black men in Chicago, I'm talking about gay black men in the Chicago in like 1980s, 1990s, who created some of these trends that we actually see now. We have the privilege to, because of the things that they went through. And it's so beautiful to see you actually knowing a lot of the history and being able to educate people. And I I really love that. Thank
3: you. Well, I I just think, you know, Knowledge is the key to success. And they always say the more you know, the less you know. And I think that's true. Absolutely. But if you do not educate yourself, I just don't know. I can't be your friend, A. Um, but B, like, I just, <laughs> you're just doing yourself a disservice as a human being on this planet. You know, it's Instagram has so much information at the drop of a finger, like that. Right. You know, it's not like you have to read a big book. I mean, I wish you would. I wish I would more. But, you know, the information is out there. You just have to seek it.
2: Well, the the purity of intention it be, becomes whether this is a parody or an authentic moment, right? And, and often in our intention, we believe we're authentic in our moment when we're actually a parody of somebody else or something else. And there has to be a way to understand the depth of what we're trying to express. You know, what's fascinating to me is, in in looking at the career that you've had is that who you are standing or sitting in front of us and who you are on stage as a character that you've developed, that I don't see those as separate entities. And if if you are, you know, what is the difference between honoring somebody by the wig you choose or offending somebody by the wig you choose right I was at a conference I was a young strapping psychologist many many years ago um, maybe not so strapping but young and a psychologist you um and, and so I there's 3,000 therapists in this auditorium at this hotel in and it was, all the greats were there Sophie Freud and, and on and on and on and a, a brilliant mind stood up there, a man named Steven Adler, and he makes the statement, little guy, right? And he gets up and in a big voice, he says, now this is 1980, right? He says, everybody here has the capacity to be heterosexual or homosexual. Now, these are therapists. Typically, you're more liberal people, more expansive, right? Ready to receive that. And three quarters of the place just went crazy, crazy offended, crazy with the threat that that might be a true statement. Well, of course, it's a true statement. We all live on the continuum of who we are. We live on the continuum of being female and male and feeling feelings and things that turn us on because we're scared of them and things that turn us on because we're comfortable with them. Jay, you challenge that every day. Now, COVID took that away, but your platform. So when you were talking about the people before you who paved the way to make you able to be you, a gay man, you know, entertainer today, I was thinking, who are you paving the way for? And what is it that you're paving um, that that moves that needle more forward than just explaining whether or not your braids are offensive or not. Does that make sense? What I just asked you.
3: Yes. I think ultimately you're asking me, who am I paving the way for?
2: I'm asking you, but, but, but I'm asking you that in, in the court, it's like, you know, the only people in Seattle who, you know, live in Seattle are the people who are walking through the rain. They don't run like we do because we're freaking out that it we're getting wet because they're used to it. You put on the braids and there are people, there are people who are going to be offended by who everybody on this call is for something. But yet you're driven to get a message across. So who are you paving the way for? And what are you really trying to add to the narrative beyond what was what was established before you?
3: Ooh. You did want to go deep.
2: Um, I'm great at parties. I'm telling you, I cleared the room in 20 minutes. You want everybody to go home at the end of the night. Just get Dembo to start talking. I love that.
3: Um, okay. Well, I think to answer your question, um, I am paving the way for individuals who do not want to belong to categories. I think that's really what I'm doing. I think even, you know, Earlier, you said man, and I just want to correct you. Um, I identify as non binary. So I identify somewhere in the space between neither man nor female, but both. For me, that's how I truly feel. I feel I'm both, which is why I don't have a particular pronoun. I always say, as long as you're addressing me with love, he or she is cool with me. Um, (laughs) But that's not how every non binary person is, just FYI. I want to put that out there. But so I'm trying to really explore that landscape, the landscape of self-expression through sexuality, through uh, orientation, and allowing us to kind of dismantle that. I think I would really like to live in a place where people can be themselves regardless of what's in between their legs, um, regardless of how they they look to the exterior. So I hope that I'm creating a landscape in which people can truly and ultimately be themselves and allow their freak flags to to fly because that's that's Laganja's mission. I mean, that's why I am a uh, pot-smoking, thong-backed, wearing leotard, uh, sexual energy icon because I feel that ultimately we need more freedom in this country. That's clearly what we are hearing now. And the only way to really be free is to be free. And I think that's what I demonstrate every day by smoking pot on my Instagram, by putting on those high heels and then turning around and teaching 13-year-olds, by having a conversation about BLM and then turning around and doing another podcast where I'm talking about my favorite munchie. Mm -hmm. By being authentically who I am, I hope that I'm allowing others to realize they too can tap into this. And thus we can create a landscape for everyone to belong because I, I I see a world in which, yes, there's always minorities. There's always going to be cliques. We're always going to relate to others more than one another, but I do truly see a world in which we celebrate each other's differences. And we not only recognize that, but we love that about ourselves. We love that there is this difference. And so I hope if anything, that's what I'm doing. I'm speaking to those people that want to belong to that kind of Mm -hmm. um, community.
2: Can we do that, everybody, without comparative? Can we actually have dialogue without comparison? No. It's impossible, isn't it? I don't believe
3: so. I mean, that's one of my biggest things that I work on. I compare myself to, to so many other popular drag queens. And, well, you know, they're doing this, and how am I not? And, you know, I think that's human nature. But I think when you can break down that, What I've ultimately realized for me when I start to act that way is to remind myself there's room for us all. And the fact that another queen succeeds only means she's further opening the door for me to then walk through and succeed at an even larger level. And I think that that's what this is about, you know, especially with the race. It's always been about keeping people of color down so that the white person can succeed. And we need to realize that the only way we truly succeed is if we all succeed. And so that's that's what I want to speak to.
0: Yeah, I think what you have a lot of people can 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 benefit from and that is a success mindset. And everybody has the ability to create success for themselves regardless of their background where they came from, who did what and why. It is going to start with your mindset. And what I love about you is you have you have this freedom in you. You are yourself authentically we're beyond comparing because how could you compare because you're a unique individual and you inspire other unique individuals that's what you're doing and it's beautiful it's like it really is a ministry like your, li- your 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 life is like a service what you're doing is a ministry that's
3: why i say god gwd because i grew up in a in a place of texas where being christian was you know a very important thing and my grandfather was the best Christian I've ever known in my life. The true definition of a Christian, loves everyone, takes care of everyone. I mean, the true definition. And so that's why when other Christians or other communities were so mean to me, I was able to tell myself, well, they're not truly what it means to be a Christian. And even though I don't identify as that now, I I identify as someone who's very spiritual and holds the universe at large as my God. But I, I think I do feel that way. I feel like the work I'm doing, it is... It is a ministry in a way because I make people feel good about themselves when I when I do Laganja's dance school, which is just a masterclass that I make my fans come to, basically in order to meet me. But what it does in, in the end is it forces people to move and to dance mm-hmm. and to be comfortable and 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 be uncomfortable with their bodies. and And it's always amazing at the end of the class to see how I've truly been able to take people to a new place. And that's that's what my parents taught me as high school counselors for thirty plus years. They taught me it's okay to cry, that it's okay to to love and to, and to to mess up as long as you learn and you move forward and you help. And I just think that if more artists could find it in their heart to not worry so much about their numbers or their success and more about each other, the art would be better, A, <laughs> and B, we would be living in such a more, much more happier place. But I really believe it's up to people like myself with the platform, regardless of whether I'm Britney Spears or not, I can reach, you know, a lot of people in one day and 15 seconds. And that comes to me with a lot of, a lot of responsibility.
2: Well, Brittany of isn't you. What? Brittany isn't you.
3: Yeah. Well, Brittany's a whole other thing. Don't get me started on her. <laughs>
0: and
3: I can go deep into her too. But I'm just saying it doesn't matter how big Of a platform, truly, you know. I think all people should be thinking this way, but I just yeah. But but
2: Jay, but Jay, people people
3: looking up to me, you know.
2: Jay, but 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 you know, it 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 is it is too cliche if you don't add the rest. People have to understand to be as impactful and as pure as you are is vulnerable and scary and courageous and threatening. And painful and emotional and powerful. And, and it's really important because people like love to love celebrities like you. But the, the, to have and take on the responsibility of impact, cultural impact, right, is a very different intention. And I would say to you that I've been around doing this a decade longer than you've been alive. And uh, very few people, including names that are household names, are as pure in their impact as you are. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that you add to the conversation how freaking scared, scary this can be to be expected to be who you are, are for everybody else. It it's is. A big-
3: I, mean, I, I, you know, suffered a huge depression after RuPaul's Drag Race, when the world was not ready for my eccentricities. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I became a raging alcoholic and almost lost my life. So yes, there is a scary side to being who I am. Yes, it does come with risks, you know, especially when I am performing across the world and going to countries like Peru where they've never had an international drag performer. And I'm the first of all time coming. Um, you know, I even went to gosh, where is it? It's like so crazy to be gay there. Lebanon. I mean, you know, (laughs) yes, I definitely feel fear, but I have learned that ultimately to kind of go back to the point you were saying earlier, Dr. B, we have a choice. Our mind is a very, very powerful thing. They don't say mind over matter for no reason. And I truly, with every follicle and fiber of my being, believe if your mind is not right, then you will never succeed. And that doesn't mean rich having a pool succeed. I mean, being a fucking human being to one another. You can't do that if you're not lined and if you're not choosing to be happy. And that's ultimately how I got out of my alcoholism. I chose to not be an alcoholic. I chose to be happy. I chose to say this is not helping me. This is not helping others. I've got to stop. Um, you know, and so I was sober for three and a half years and didn't drink and really did the work that is required to be able to move forward with your life. And okay. so you're 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 correct. You know, I don't really talk about those parts because those aren't the sensationalized parts that people normally want to hear about. But it is. It is true. It does come with that ultimate risk. Of exposing or feeling vulnerable, um, but what I can always say as someone who's had it both ways, uh, you'll be fine. You know, I was publicly shamed and made fun of, and da 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 da. And I know it will happen again. It's just—that's the culture we live in. And I know, as an artist, I'm prepared for that because I know I'm a good person. I know who I am in my heart of hearts, and I know moving forward that I am—I've got all the tools in my tool belt after all these years to continue being this person, no matter the the amount of success I receive.
0: And And I think- what inspires you to do that? What inspires you to get up off the floor after that, RuPaul and all of that? How, what, what was it that brought you back?
3: I ultimately think uh, it's my gifts. It's the gift that I have inside of me, this, this ability to help others. I think if I didn't have that, and if I didn't know I had that power, um, I probably would have ended my life. But Mm -hmm. I knew that at that point, even in my darkest hour where I felt I wasn't enough to all these other people I was. And I don't know. I just think what keeps me going is what should keep everyone going. And that's, don't we just want to be better people? Don't we want to live in a world where we're cool with one another, even if we don't get each other and understand each other? I don't think it's that complicated. I just think that people didn't necessarily have the upbringing I did with two parents who are high school counselors who made me intersect myself at all times and ask me how my day was. And, you know, I'm so lucky. And so I feel like that's why, you know, hopefully I can be that for other people. You know, one of my favorite peoples, people in the world is Richard Simmons. I know that sounds silly, but he truly, he truly changed people's lives. Yes. He, he would call clients, you know, for years and years on end. Now, granted, the end of his story is sad. And, you know, I think it kind of ties back to your point of, well, there's going to be sadness with this. And I think eventually Richard, in my opinion, probably couldn't keep it up. He couldn't mm-hmm. keep his being happy and helpful to everyone. He had to go and help himself, which yeah. don't, get me, don't get me started on that. That's a whole nother podcast you can do. Right, right. I think for me, that's what I want to be. I want to be that beacon of hope. I want to be that pillar of light. So when people reach their darkness, like I did, I can remind them that you got a choice here, kid. You're the one who's clouding that mind, uncloud it and see that you have all the tools you need.
2: This is what, yes. And this is what moves our needle forward. This is what your gift is for the next generation, because people don't know how to do this because they don't think that it's. It real comes with this, it does, they don't think that it's real. They
3: don't think they choose to be happy. They're like, but this is sucking and this is sucking. And it's like, yes, right. but have you felt the sun on your skin? Have you felt right. the fact that tomorrow, even though all this shit has gone down, you have an opportunity to live again? Gratitude. I mean, I look at as a gay person in all these other countries. I mean, I just was posting about Turkey on my story yesterday mm-hmm. and, and the horrible things that are going on in their country with women. And we are so lucky, as you said, when you started this podcast, to be alive right now. We right. are. And as scary and as horrible and as fucked up as it all is, we can change it. And you have to believe it first to do
0: it. Amen. 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 And a woman. Yes, a woman. And asexual too, because we love them as well. (laughs) Asexual.
1: Jay, you are just, I mean, as you know, you're empowering us through education, through kindness, and just through authenticity. And from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing that with everyone. And I've, I've learned so much on this podcast in this one conversation that I've learned in the last several weeks. So I just want to personally say thank you so much for that.
3: Well, thank you guys. As I said, when we started this, I just, I feel truly like this is an honor and, and to be able to have such an interesting and in-depth conversation, you know, I just hope that people will listen and be inspired and uh, hit that subscribe button.
2: Subscribe <laughs> button.
3: Do it, do it. Well, you're a,
2: you're, you're a true blessing, my friend. You Thank you for, for Well, we all are. You know
3: that's that's the real truth here. Is we're all blessings if we choose to be.
0: Yes. I wanted to say yeah. that you're Jay. You are definitely someone's uh Richard Simmons. Definitely. <laughs>
2: Thank <laughs> you. I actually want to see him in those short shorts. Ooh, I know. I know. I miss those too. But, I love those. Yeah.
1: Well, everyone at home, thank you all as well. We appreciate every one of you for listening in on this conversation today. We know you all learned something. Everyone has their own unique takeaway. Thank you again. This has been OK America. Rethink. Wait, actually, this has
3: actually been OK America.
0: And with that, we're out.